you know, some, sometimes things come to me and it's like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, that's always a you good, or, or what did, or what did we, uh, I heard this somewhere. I think it was on Twitter. Somebody said, yeah, just flip it over, you know, yeah. turn, turn, flip it upside down. <laughs> turn it upside down. Yeah. Flip it, smack it, rub it down. Oh no. <laughs> and on that note. What's architecture really about? Archispeak is a show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and show you why we are passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Evan Troxell. Join Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in to find out. Time for some Marcus speak. Well, what's the studio environment to you, Evan? What does that mean to me? I, you know, the the studio is. I mean, obviously, that's where all the work happens, right? And and so, I think something that would be interesting to to talk about would be. Is it is it a twenty four seven environment? Is it a nine to five environment? Is it cubicles? Is it open? Is there physical modeling? Is it purely digital modeling? Like, what is the modern studio environment versus maybe or maybe maybe it's the same thing? The ideal studio environment because as architects, we're a creative bunch, um, and I, and the way that I see it, the studio is becoming more and more of a cubicle environment you know what i mean yeah um because we're sort of like that where we have project managers kind of have a uh cubicle um it's up against the windows so we can look out um daydreaming you know stuff like that but uh um you know, then we have an open studio, but the thing is, is that everybody faces their computers backs to each other. Right. Um, headphones in headphones in. Yeah. And headphones are like the worst thing that's happened to the studio is what my, my friend Mark said the other day. He's like, Oh, headphones, they've got to be the worst thing that's ever happened to the architecture studio. You know, I agree because you know, you lose that spontaneity of, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, chat with somebody and and say you know i really like this or you know i mean i've been in studios where you know we'll listen to music on the speakers but nobody will put in headphones um and the spontaneity of the conversation is what kind of to me kind of sparks inspiration, you know, ideas and things like that. You know, you don't have to like tap on their shoulder and say, Hey, what are you doing? You actually get a chance to like, you know, converse with them without, you know, interrupting them or, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't didn't know you were listening to, uh, you know, you know, Arca speak on your podcast. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, I, I think that, it's harder to do that nowadays with computer screens 
to to see what's happening on the screen and say, oh, I wanted to ask you about that. Because it's not a still image for the most part. You know, right. if there's a model or there's CAD work going on, there's a lot of zooming and panning and, you know, in and out and zipping around this thing because you're always looking at it from different angle. Whereas when it was on the board, when it was on the desk, it would be there for a few days. Yeah. And you would, you would think about it and you would go away from it. You'd come back to it. And people would walk by and they could look at it and they could they could study it and they could ask questions about it. It was a lot easier. Same thing goes for physical modeling, right? When you're building a physical model, you're you're doing it in the open for the most part. Yeah. I mean that yeah. at least that's how I you know it kind of should be, I think. Um and and people have the opportunity to experience it and see it. Um either either they're in the studio with you or they're walking by and they can say, Hey, that's cool. What's that? And uh, I think that's a lot harder now when everything's on a screen. Well, have you ever had that experience of, well, may- maybe not, but uh, back when we did hand draft, um, you know, you, you, like you said, you, you, there, what you would have would be on your desk maybe for a day or two days or three days, yeah. if you're, you know, depending on what you're doing. Or you'd have, have a ever, progression. Ever come into the office when there's like a note there, like, Hey, you missed this. Or, yeah. <laughs> Make sure you do that. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. Have somebody you thought about this? Around, yeah. Have you thought about this? It's like, wait a minute. Somebody was walking around looking at my drawings laying on my desk. Uh, you know, and that, that can still happen. I guess if you got a, a set of check prints or something laying on your desk, but for the most part, you go home at night, you turn the computer off and, and whatever you were working on is gone. I mean, it yeah. at least can't be reflected on by anyone in the office at that point. You know, I see people, it, to me, it's like the tract house mentality where you drive up to your house, you hit the garage door opener button, you drive in, you hit the garage door closer button, and then you're anonymous in your own neighborhood. And that's kind of how it is in the studio to me, where people come into the office, they beeline straight for their desk, they sit down, they turn on and they get sucked into email, right? First thing in the morning. The most non-creative thing you could possibly do is do email for an hour. And then, you know, you, you put in your earbuds, you start working away. And it's the same thing as that anonymous driving into your garage thing and not talking to your neighbors. Um, that, to me, is kind of poisonous in the studio environment. It starts to kill off that that group sense of, you know, we're all working on these projects together. It's very much a solo act at that point. I absolutely agree with you because, uh, I mean, that's, that's one thing that's commented often, um, by a lot of the, you know, new recent graduates that come into the office, you know, not just our office, but in, in offices that I've worked in in the past as well, that they come in, and they're just like, you know, this isn't what I expected. I, I, you know, was assuming that it was going to be this open studio environment like in college where, you know, everybody sits around a big table and they talk about architecture. You know, nobody talks about architecture here. And, you know, every so often I'll, you know, get into a conversation with people and talk about a building that we see in, you know, online or in a magazine or something like that. But Rarely is there that spont- you know spontaneous uh, conversation about what it is that you know keeps us going, you know, and, and it almost feels soul sucking in a way, you know, because it's it, the creativity just feels gone. 
it's like that movie Super 8, right, where the alien has abducted all these people. And, and you know, sorry about the spoilers here, but the everybody is staring at the light. You know, they're in this underground cavern and they're just staring at yep, the light, right? Yep. And they can't not stare at it. And that, to me, is kind of what these screens have become. It is the hub of all of our communication, all of our information, our source for inspiration. Uh, it, it's all of those things in one, and, and you can't pry away from it except if you have to go grab a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom. Luckily, in our office, the bathrooms are nowhere near our workstations. Um, so at least you have to get up and walk several hundred feet to get there just so that you have to walk by other people. But this is this is something that transcends any job description in the office is you have the ability to get up and get out and see what people are working on no matter what level you are. If you're a draftsman, if you're an intern, if you are a project manager, if you're a designer, if you're a principal, um, but it doesn't happen. And that, to me, is really why I, I feel like studio culture is, is going away. It's we're, we're being completely sucked in to the light, right? We, we can't, can't not stare at these screens. Well, even, well, in, even in meetings, you're staring at a small screen. Well, we'll think about your office. Um, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, but try to think about everybody in your office and tell me how many people in your office aren't pretty much the entire day 100% dedicated, you know, dedicated to that screen. Yeah. I, I right. just, I, I did a mental note of everybody in our office, everybody from top down is, you know, stuck on a screen. Yeah. We have very few people who aren't on a screen and, and the people who aren't are the ones doing CA out in the field. Um, or are not versed in the tools, and you know, you you, you kind of wonder, hey, I wonder if if they're onto something here. <laughs> well, I mean, I, honestly, you know, I because of the way that you know we have done our office. I mean, the or at least the you know the structure in our office is that the project manager will you know, basically go all the way you know from design through construction administration. Right. And, you know, of course, it's the early on when we're cranking out, you know, uh, trace sketches and stuff like that, that, you know, you're just building up, you know, tons and tons of of paper that's sketched all over. You know, you've got that that part. But to me, the second best part of the job is when I get out of the office and I'm out doing CA because yeah. I'm away from the office you know, and I'm not staring at a screen, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, we, we joked about this, uh, and I was telling you guys in a other podcast that, you know, I get ridicule from clients and contractors. So, you know, where's your iPad? Why don't you have an iPad? You know, it'll make it so much easier for you to, uh, you know, do, um, you know, to do an RFI response right now or, you know, things like that. Instant, like, you know yeah. what? It, I'm glad I don't have the iPad because I can focus on walking around, looking at what needs to happen, make my little notes, you know, sure. Sometimes I kind of wish that I could, you know, say, 
I didn't give you that RFI? Well, you know, and then whip one out real quick. I'd love to be able to do that. But for the most part, though, I actually like being detached and unplugged. Um, you know, it's, well, one. Well, yeah, go well, ahead. To Neil. be f- to be fair, Cormac, you know, when we did things by hand, we were still staring at a table all day. Um, you know, I think that table's now just come off of the board and stands up and is a screen. Now, obviously, that screen has got a whole lot more going on there. So, you know, it can be far more distracting. Um, but back, you know, when we drafted, it was the same. I mean, well, it was similar in that we just stared at a table all day long. But as Evan was saying is that you you had the opportunity for other people to come by and see it. I mean, I've come by and, you know, people are zooming in and out and you really can't focus in on what they're working on to really engage them in some conversation that's specific to something that you saw. You say, oh, wait, 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 go back, you know, um, switch to this, uh, you know, that sheet or that layer or do this or do that. You know, you really don't do that anymore. You just like, oh, well, you know, you walk past, you know, in in um, my capacity as project manager, I walk past, I'm like, oh, good, they're working. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's right. not, ooh, what are you working on? You know? And, well, and, and one of the things that, that working in, the, in a little bit more of an analog world al- affords you is the ability to think about things, at least to have the excuse to to want to think about things. And, and so Cormac, like to your, to your point where you were talking about not having an iPad, not being able to respond to that RFI in a, in a moment's notice, you know, you can actually think about what your response is going to be, right? right. make sure it's right, and then send it off. You know, I, and that's when I feel like when I'm not on the instant schedule to turn around a design solution very quickly, my brain doesn't work that way. And I like to process things and I like to think about things for a little bit. And, and that everybody's happier when I have the ability to do that because there's real reasons for why I did things. And I think, you know, you can get faster at that with experience, but you still need to be able to, to have things based on real thoughts and real circumstances and, and, uh, and a real rationale rather than, well, I, I played with these five different scenarios and, the, and you know, I was in Grasshopper and these are the five different algorithms that I used. And, and so this, these are the, our five different options. Um, to me, that, that is very synthetic. It's very much fashion at that point, And it's not rooted in reality or real world constraints, maybe. And so you're not able to, I, I feel like if you're able to think about things like you were, like if something is on your drafting board for three days, and you're really thinking about it, and you're putting those lines down because they mean something, then um, the work means something to you. And if you have ownership over it, it's going to mean more to everybody on the team. Actually, nowadays, if something's sitting on your drawing board for three days, somebody will walk by and say, you know what? Do it in the computer. It's a lot faster. (laughs) Yeah. What's taking so long? Exactly. All right. Well, you know, going back to the whole studio environment, I, I'm, I'm curious about this because you mentioned, I think it was Evan, you said, you know, it's, it's becoming all cubes. And, um, you know, one of the, the offices I worked in uh, was very was very open, but it was designed at a time that, where everything was done by hand. 
And so we, we didn't have cubes. We had kind of built-in desks, essentially, yeah. um, which were all high, by the way. I mean, they were all up higher. We all um, – You sat on stools? We sat on stools, yeah. exactly. And uh, I think we all had like milk crates or something underneath our stools to, to put our feet on or something or, or something built up so your feet weren't dangling uh, all day long. But, um, uh, I mean, what was nice about that was uh, that – you know that a lot of those types of conversations could happen because you were you know just kind of walking around your tables were all high and so nobody was having to like bend over lean over to you know look at your drawings or to talk to you at all i mean we all just you know we could stand up and um you know i i liked that environment i thought that w- that worked well um what was interesting is that when they came through and and decided they were going to remodel and and do some things and they were going to lower all the desks and they did they they lowered virtually all of them down you know so that everybody could sit and they're all concerned about uh you know carpal tunnel and making sure everything was was um was done done correctly which was a great idea, but I find it ironic now that a lot of people like to work standing up uh, or at least have the option of take, you know, going down or maybe bringing their, their tables back up, uh, to stand. Um, but, uh, you know, so I think that, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept how that office was designed, how it was, was very open. It wasn't very cube based. I mean, there were a few walls here and there that kind of maybe went up to eight feet tall. I think the ceiling was nine or 10 or something. So some walls went up, you know, and there were some offices with doors, you know, for, for principals and things. Um, but for the most part, the, the studio was, was pretty much open with a, with a, like a large planning table out in the middle. So that, you know, general conversations could happen around a project or people could sit around it and do design charrettes or something. Um, and that that worked really well because there was no cube environment um, at, at that time, you know, in there. Well, there's a, a couple of initiatives that have happened in the last few weeks in my area of the office where because we do have cubicles and we have partitions that go up to about five feet, I would say. Mm-hmm. And. The upper band of that, there's been a couple people who have started to remove their panels between them and, the, and their neighbor. So, like, we have several rows of cubes, and from me to my neighbor to the south, I can. there's no upper band. But to my neighbor to the west, there is an upper band. Okay, so everybody in the row can see each other, but if you go to the next row, there's this five-foot divide. And people have started to remove that upper band. And so that's one way that people have started to kind of defy the cube, right? And I know that there's going to be some people who are incompatible where you're not going to want to remove the panel. But then there are people who are compatible. And it makes a huge difference for those people to have a conversation. Um, so that's that's one thing that's happened that that is a cool idea that's spreading is people are starting to remove these panels. You can see the idea actually spreading. And there's, there's some people who are, who are freaked out by this. They think, you know, well, we've got to, we've got to put these back. And there's other people who are saying it's too late. You can't put them back now. If you put them back now, you're going to kill morale, right? Like morale isn't low enough. Um, so there, that that's, you know, I think a key to, again, kind of working in the studio is being able to see and talk to 
all the people around you, just like you were talking about, Cormac. When you want to get someone's idea, you want to get a fresh set of eyeballs on the thing that you're working on, you can look to your left and say, hey, look at this. What do you think? And I think that's a big deal. You know, and funny that you say that because we, uh, me and my adjacent uh, cube mate, um, he's the other one of the other project managers, and he, we kind of reconfigured it um, where we basically have like a little vestibule that comes into a little small area and you split off to one way or the other. So it almost feels like a little office, but now I feel even more isolated where I at least, you know, could kind of like move my chair back a little bit and kind of look to my left and, you know, see some of my team members and, you know, be able to like have eye contact with them. Now I can't even do that. Um, it, it was in a way it was kind of more, I did it because everybody who walked past my cube kind of was, you know, always peeking in and not that, you know, I was doing anything top secret or anything. It just kind of my phobia of people just like hovering over the back of me, you know, I, I, I like to have eye contact, yeah. but you know, when <laughs> a lot of people in our office have little, uh, convex mirrors on the corner of their monitor so they can see when people are approaching because they are so sucked into what they're working on. They want to make sure that they know when someone's coming. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, something that you said about morale, um, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, like basically this cube farm and, you know, we're talking about uh, the headphones and, you know, this, this constant detachment from, you know, even within a project where we're becoming so detached that, you know, I, I sit there and I watch morale just kind of dwindle to, you know, it kind of gets sucked into this little black hole of, and, you know, goes away. And it just, it, it, I'm just, you know, the conversations that, you know, think about how much fun you had in studio when you were in school. Everybody was always talking. I mean, you know, maybe you guys were playing music that, um, you know, that had uh, whatever. I mean, you know, you're, you're playing music. You may not like the music or something, but, you know, everybody's just kind of like, you know, throwing music into it, you know, and you're just having fun with it. And you're you're talking and you're you're interacting and and, you know, I mean your morale was probably the highest, you know, I would probably say all three of us, our morale might've been the highest when we were in school, when we were in an open environment like that. Yeah. You know, well, and, and that forces you to play, play well with others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas when you're, when you're in control of your own playlist and what's going on on your screen and you've got the headphones in plugged in as, as deep as they'll go, uh, it, it becomes very selfish. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's you, like you said, you're disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the, I, I had an experience back when, when, uh, when I was first working, um, in a, in a larger office where getting to the, the headphone thing, I think I had my headphones on one day and, um, I think it's somebody, I thought I heard somebody yelling at me or something. And it was the project manager I was working for trying to get my attention about something. And uh, so recommendation out there for all of you students or young interns working out there, leave them off. 
don't don't wear them um, because also too, and I don't know if we've mentioned this on a prior podcast, but you know there there's a lot you can learn by keeping your headphones out and just listening to the car. If if you're in an, in an environment that's not the cube farm that we've been talking about, but say in, in an office where you can hear your coworkers or your project managers or the principals of the firm. Um, and you can hear those conversations they're having on the phone. There's a lot of valuable information uh, that you can glean by just just listening. And and so I mean, your brain's focused on what you're doing. And sometimes I agree. I mean, sometimes guys, I gotta I gotta put the headphones on to just focus, focus for yeah. a few hours, sure. and and that may just happen. Right. But uh, but you know the other times you know when that's not happening. Of course, as I became a project manager, that happened less and less because I wasn't you know, drafting all the time, but, uh, but you just listen to what other people are saying around you and, uh, you can learn some techniques about how to handle clients on the phone and, uh, or talk to consultants. And I mean, those are the things that you don't get direct experience with until you start doing it. But if you're listening to what's happening around you, um, you can gain a lot of valuable information. That's absolutely true. And and one of the other things that in our studio that was a challenge that was put out by the CEO actually was, you know, give up email for a week as much as possible. If there's somebody in this office that you are going to reply to or send a message to, get up and walk over to their desk and talk to them instead of sending them an email. Just give it a try and see how it goes. And the whole idea is for you to get up and see what other people are working on. And I thought, you know, it's hard to break people, especially the younger generation of the whole instant messaging, you know, so much of our life is spent communicating digitally that it's hard to break that habit. And and a week isn't probably enough to do that. And you probably need a reminder more often than just that once. But um, for the people that really took it to heart, it was a very enjoyable thing. And, you know, people got to see faces that they don't normally get to see and interact with and those it's there's so many times when a conversation face to face or over the phone is so much more productive because you can ascertain intonation and inflection and speech and you know it, it's really hard to judge somebody's demeanor in text um and so i feel like it's it's so much faster and easier to do it either in person or over the phone that it was very successful in that way. And it's so funny that we have to be reminded to do that, you know? Yeah. I've, I've, I've made a pact with myself that I, I don't send inner office emails. I get up and go talk to the person. Um, it just makes one, it's a small office, it's 22 people. And it just makes perfect sense that if you want to get it done quickly, just get up and go talk to the person because, yeah. you know, they may not look at their email, you know, or, or, you know, this, that, or the other. So, you know, it just makes no sense. Plus, you know, nine times out of 10, my sarcasm is never read the way that it's intended to. And, you know, I just sound like an ass. <laughs> so I just, I just avoid, you know, inner office emails. <laughs> you? No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the same, the same could be said for, you know, communication with your consultants as well. I mean, sometimes it's just easier to pick up the phone and call that person 
and get something straightened out. Well, that's you know, a lot. Some, that's, that's a lot it. easier way to make sure it actually happens. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It, because yeah. you're talking to them. They can't ignore the email or have it get stuck in spam or deleted. You know, that's a bit. That's a big deal. A lot of times when you're on a tight deadline. You know, I go through, um, I, I get uh, RFI logs and submittal logs each week from the contractors or construction managers. And, you know, they, they send me things that, you know, and I'm looking on the on their list and it's something that I knew I emailed it to them, you know, ages ago that, oh, I just, I didn't see that email or, oh, you know. And, you know, it gets rectified pretty quickly when I pick up the phone and say, you know, hey, I was going through the log and, you know, um, this, this, this and this are still showing up on the log, but I sent it to you last week. And like, oh, OK, well, you know, let me uh, check that out and make sure I've got it. Let me dig that out of my three million emails that I received last week. Exactly. And, you know, it's just it it's it's becoming I mean, as convenient as email is, especially to be able to kind of keep them, you know, archived so that and then later on down the road, if you need that CYA um, kind of email that says, oh, yeah, yeah, see, I sent it here, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean they read it or they got it or they, you know, processed that particular, you know, um, PDF that you attach to it or something. But it, it just... It, it seems to, you know, email makes it too easy to kind of detach yourself from your project. Yeah. And it, well, getting back to the studio environment, you know, we work with so many consultants on these projects, these large scale projects yeah. that there's so many times when we send out a Revit model mm -hmm. and we expect people to see where that duck chase is. Right. 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 And guess what? Right. They have no clue that it's there. And so today, you know, I called the mechanical on last last week and I said, I need you in my office on Monday morning, first thing, so that we can go over what I'm thinking so that it's going to make your job easier and you're not going to put the unit on the roof where it cannot go. You know, let's save some time. Let's get together face to face. And let's talk this through. And it made such a huge difference, right? Because now he's hitting the ground running. And he's going to come back to me with some usable uh, design versus what he would have come back with, which he did come back with already, where it was like the units are completely in the wrong spots on the roof. Well, Evan, since you're the one who works in the larger office, and we're talking about the studio environment, what... what what do you think is maybe more of an ideal studio work environment? Yeah, I was going to say we we should definitely talk about what are the key ingredients, right, to the to the ideal studio environment. At least, at least what I think is the ideal. Um, you know, number number one on the list is it's got to be a place, and we already touched on this, where you can have fun. If we're not enjoying our work, um, then then we're going to leave every day kind of disgruntled, and we're not going to want to be there the next day. Oh, yeah. And so what are the things that make it fun? You know, it's got it for me. It's, it's music. You've got to be able to own your space. You've got to be able to do what you want with your space. Um, so whether that's putting things up on your walls or putting things up on community walls and bringing things in that interest you and sharing those, 
Um, it's like show and tell, right? You you want to be able to have a place where you can put stuff up on the wall and listen to what you want to listen to and, and, and have a safe, fun environment where you can put things out there that aren't going to be shut down and, and ridiculed and thrown back at you, but are things that can invoke conversations and discussions um, about whatever topic it is and just create kind of a for me it's it's kind of a messy environment i like it i like the studio to not feel very corporate so so that's where the music comes in and that's where the model making supplies come in and just you know lots of trace and wads of paper because you've gone through ideas it's it's a very process driven environment it's not concerned with being pristine Cormac, how do you think that works in a smaller office, though, where, say, the work environment, the studio part of the office may not be kind of down the hall and around the corner where you can kind of make it maybe, maybe if it is more personal and messier and whatever it is. But I mean, what if that office is maybe a little more open to the public? Uh, or that may, or maybe that, that workspace, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen your workspace, uh, your office, but, uh, you know, how would that work in a smaller place? Well, I mean, it could, and in a way it should, because, you know, much like what we do with this podcast, I mean, we're trying to expose people to, you know, the layman that's not, you know, strapped to the, you know, um, cubicle farm like we are um i don't want to make it sound that bad because it really isn't um it's the matrix (laughs) exactly you're plugged in um but you know we're you want people to kind of see the grittier side of architecture to understand that there isn't you know we don't just have as we said in the last one that easy button where you can just click it and you get these beautiful renderings and these you know beautiful um you know construction documents and stuff that there actually is a hard process that you know you go through to get from point a to point b and it's not clean it's not pristine you know it, things don't mount themselves. It just, you know, that you get a chance to actually see that. And I, you know, I, I remember when we were in school, um, we went on a tour of, uh, some firms in, um, Atlanta, Georgia. You know, we weren't too far, you know, Auburn's not too far from Atlanta, Georgia. So we went to, uh, the big city and we, um, we toured some of them big fancy architecture firms and, um, we just, uh, we we went to one, um, I believe it was a TVS, that they're a huge corporate firm. And you walk in there and everything was aligned. I mean, you know, books were color coordinated and it just looked clean and pristine. And I don't think there were you were allowed to throw anything away. And it it was interesting enough that it actually translated to the work that they did. It was very, you know, it was it was really good architecture, but it was very corporate. It it felt too clean, too sterile, too corporate. And then, you know, I went into um, a smaller firm, but um, uh, internationally recognized uh, firm, and um, you know, they're known for kind of like you know the southern style of you know the deconstructivist at the time, you know, very very kind of avant-garde modern and we walk into the firm and it's a 
big, huge open warehouse, uh, spray painted black, uh, concrete floors. Um, you know, you walk in and you kind of walk down the hallway and there's like, you know, several hand-built models of all the different projects that they're working on. You walk into, you know, they, they brought us into their, um, conference room. It was, you know, open. It, it had a couple of window, you know, glass partitions, but it wasn't all the way to the ceiling. So, you know, it wasn't like a, a private room and the partner comes in and he's got, you know, um, he's wearing blue jeans. Now, you know, this is a guy who's giving a tour to a bunch of prospective architecture students. So, you know, you'd think that you'd either dress the part of the, you know, architect in black, or you just, you know, be yourself. And so this guy, you know, was himself came out t-shirt jeans, his, you could see his toe hanging out of his, uh, converse. And, you know, he just enjoyed the, the, uh, environment. He enjoyed what he did and it, it translated to his work. It translated to the, you know, um, to his, to the environment and everybody was just rocking out to, um, you know, to the music and everything. And, and I know friends who've now, you know, now this was, you know, back when they were still doing a lot of things by hand and now everything's evolved to the computer, but I've been to the studio since then, since the, you know, plug of the computer and it's still the same way, you know, it's still fun. So I think, you know, back to the question and it's an extraordinarily long way to get there, but, um, back to the question is, is that, yeah, I think that you, you know, people should see the dirty side of architecture. Yeah. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I couldn't agree more. It, it, it is not something that should be hidden behind a wall or around a corner because it is not apparent. The work is not out in the open. People aren't talking about it. It's not up on the walls except for the final renderings, right? Um, right. which are, those are poison. We've, we've gotten so used to looking at these perfect glossy images that they're throwaway. They don't even mean anything anymore, right? Because it's this perfect, completely abstract or highly realistic kind of distorted view of the project that's supposed to tell a story. And it doesn't do any of that. How, how much of that is um, the fault, if you will, <clears throat> of the owners of the firm. I mean, how does that, I mean, the owners of the firm, it, it sounds like Cormac in your example. I mean, the guy came out with the Converse shoes and jeans and a t-shirt. And I think the firm sounds like it reflected his personality. And Evan, in your case, you know, it sounds like, and, and I don't know this, but I mean, it just sounds like the the vision of the firm is completely different and is well, reflected in that in the space that you occupy. Yeah, you're you're right on. And and to me, it's the difference between leadership and management. We are being managed, and we're not being led by somebody with a vision. And the person that Cormac's talking about is the leader, right? They yeah. are they ooze it. Oh yeah, and yeah. everybody wants to follow it because they know where they're going and they know what their leadership stands for and they know what what they think about architecture, right? Because that leader is passionate about architecture. And I think there is a big difference there. Are you guys familiar with, um, Brian McKay Lyons? 
No. He's an no. architect out of Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, he, he's, he's been to Auburn, you know, several times when I was still there kind of as a visiting professor or a visiting critic. And, um, you go to his website and it's, I believe it's now, um, McKay Lyons, uh, Sweet Apple or Sweet Apple McKay Lyons, um, architects. Um, and they show pictures of their studio and stuff. And it's this big, huge, long table um wide like super wide table gotta be like 60 80 inches wide um people sit on either side of the table so it's almost like you're sitting at enormous dinner table and that you can that you they've got like little wings off of the table that you know you've got your computer on but then you can turn back to like the body of the table and look across the table at you know the person that's sitting across from you and have a conversation. And it's like you're sitting at the dinner table, yeah. having conversations with your friends and family, popping open a glass of, you know, a bottle of wine and, and just conversing about it. And when you look at his work, it reflects this nature that he really actually is passionate about it. And so is everybody else in his office. Cause I mean, it, it's fantastic work. I mean, he's, he's one of my favorites. Just, you know, there's just something about the modernism that he kind of, you know, practices. Um, and he's got some interesting, uh, uh, kind of like side projects that he does with the, um, or studios that he does with the local architecture school, um, called the ghost studio, which, um, is just phenomenal because it's, it's very similar to the, uh, um, what they do at the rural studio, but this is a little bit more temporary. Um, so it's more exploratory. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, but the point I'm making is that it just, he, he I, I guess it's, you know, what's reflected in the work is kind of what's reflected in the studio environment. Well, have you guys even know, you, you probably have noticed it at the, at Starbucks even, they're starting to go away from individual tables and they are putting these communal tables into the middle of the spaces. And, you know, they've got power strips down the middle and everybody sits there and they face each other and you've got to make room for somebody when they show up and it creates more of a community space. And I, and I have to believe that that's because the coffee shop got too boring. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and so they're trying to reinvigorate it and make it feel like a coffee shop again, where people hang out and they do things and they get together in groups, small groups, and they study together. And there's this activity, this vibrancy that's brought into the space when that happens. And yeah, it sells more coffee, but those people want to go hang out there because they've got that space. Well, let me, let me ask you this. And okay, you know, we're talking about studio environment and, you know, the kind of it becoming a little bit more like an individualized area that, you know, people are in their own little worlds. How does that translate? You know, because you and I do schools and in, you know, civic environments like that, that we are infusing so much technology into these schools. Um, you know, are we, you know, how, how do you guys uh, deal with perpetuating basically the same thing that we do in our own studios, you know, where we're kind of like the self-guided um, 
self-guided education. You know, you're, you plug into your little computer and, and you go, um, you know, it's interesting that more and more there was this big bum rush to get everybody, um, all of the latest technology that now they're like, Ooh, let's step back a little bit. And now they're actually starting to put in just like Starbucks, these communal areas where you've got like, you know, um, it's almost like, you know, in one, one project that I did, you know, you walk in and there's like this kind of like a little amphitheater, right? As you walk in there where, you know, kids are hanging out and they're sitting there chit chatting and talking and stuff. And then later, you know, once everybody goes to their class, you know, teachers will come out and use the space as teaching space so that, and then as classes let out other, you know, people go past this and they see what's going on and they start to interact with it. And it, 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 I think the trend that we're talking, we've been talking about is that when you offer the opportunities to be more open and more, you know, um, aware of your environment, that the morale and the, um, camaraderie kind of like, you know, start to, uh, increase. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, on projects that I've worked on, especially lately, there's definitely a, a desire to have these pullout spaces and these larger, like even on a high school, we're doing like a student union, which is unheard of, right? It's, that's a college level kind of a space, Hmm. but it's flexible. It's, got movable furniture it's it's something that will flex depending on the needs of the school you know depending on what month it is um and then classrooms are all situated around a pull-out space where they can get out of their classroom environment and into another one with a small group um and and you know just being able to do a change of scenery in the middle of a class can amplify um a project that you're working on because you're changing scale, you know, just in the, the amount of people you're working with, the environment you're working with. Um, and I think that that kind of thing is, is super important in our studios as well. You know, I know a lot of people who will just take a laptop and go to a coffee shop and work to get some things done, or they'll go onto one of our communal tables that we have that, you know, it's just standing room only and you pull a laptop up there and, and work on it when you're, if you want to be infused into a different environment, I I think that that kind of stuff is, is the key to flexible working environments, you know, with mobile computing, especially because things are all on the computer. If you've got a strong Wi-Fi network in a community space, that's flexible where people can, can change environment. I think that that kind of stuff is, is great for, for the working environment. And I'm kind of fired up right now, just thinking about all this stuff of, things that I want to do to get architecture reinvigorated into our studio because of all the symptoms that I talked about earlier and the ones that you guys brought up. I mean, I see that stuff every day and, and it is, it's kind of depressing to see where the, uh, the industry's going with this because I know, I know we're not alone oh. in, in, in my office, but um, that's where I have a little bit of pull and the ability to try to change that. Well, I was going to bring up, you guys were talking about schools and, and how that changes maybe the, the way we think about how we educate people. And we, we touched on this a little bit last week too, but, or in the last episode. Uh, but are you guys familiar with the energy lab at the Hawaii preparatory Academy? No. 
Oh, okay. It's a it's a marvelous project. It's um, we'll have links to it in the show notes, but I, I highly encourage everyone to check it out. Um, the what you were just talking about, uh, having uh, flexible spaces, um, tables or things that can move around and. Uh, that's not the sole focus of this particular project. It, it's very much focused on, um, you know, being uh, energy efficient and zero net zero energy. And there's a whole lot of interesting technology that's gone into this. Um, but what I find all, but what's relevant really to our conversation is how that um, basically they're studios and they're, they're all these little individual studios that can change shapes and. Uh, you know, changed the um, the the educating environment around to the need of whatever teachers using that space, and that kind of goes to I think you know the studio environment. If we have spaces that can maybe move and change, and and you know, right now many of us you know or many people might have you know the desktop computer and it's sitting there, but you know a lot of people work on laptops or can. And, you know, maybe, maybe something is to have that studio environment in an office that can be changed. I know one of the things going back, back to schools, uh, in my son's second grade classroom this, this past year, one of the interesting things his teacher did to kind of keep things fresh. And this goes back to the, the Starbucks idea is all their desks, you know, the teacher would move them around every month or so. And would reconfigure the desks into a different shape. The kids would get moved around. So they'd have somebody new sitting next to them. And it just changed up their environment. They didn't walk in. You know, my memory of, of, uh, you know, grade school was you walked into a classroom and there was, you know, eight or 10 rows across and they went back, you know, 10 rows deep or something. Or maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it wasn't that many, but, um, but that was it. The, those desks stayed there. They never moved. And you sat in, you know, row three, five rows back and you never moved. And that was a very different learning environment than what I saw volunteering in my son's class where the desks moved around, the people moved around uh, along with that. And it just it energized the environment. And maybe that's yeah, kind of creates, know, something creates some anticipation, right, of what's next. Sure. And, and it also gives a, a, an opportunity to, you know, instead of that kid that sits across the room from you, um, that you never talk right. to, maybe, right. you know, now they're sitting next to you, um, or they're close to you. And, you know, there, there's that ability to, you know, this goes back to the very beginning, of what, or, or maybe what the ideal studio environment is, is that that, that ability to engage in these different conversations that, you know, if that person's sitting down the hall in their cubicle and you never see them except at, you know, the Friday afternoon social or, you know, whatever event that the, the company's having, then you never talk to them. Yeah. And, you know, that you may find out that, you know, they're, they're a real cool person and you enjoy talking to them or, um, you know, you might be, um, you know, a good pair, you know, to work on it on a team together, but you, you may never discover that. And, uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm just kind of going off on a few different things, but I, I think it's all tied into how do we make our studio environments much more engaging yeah. and interactive. And I think we see examples of this in grade school classrooms. And in this example with this, uh, 
um, you know, this preparatory Hawaii Preparatory Academy project. Well, let's let's wrap this up. And the last thing that maybe we can each talk a little bit about is one thing that I guess I wanted to just say was one of the the wonderful things of being so digitally connected um, that has transformed the studio for the better, I believe, is that now each one of us kind of has this ability to have a much bigger audience um, and, and we're able to share what we're working on with as many people as we have access to, um, which is pretty much unlimited. You know, for, for anyone that wants to see it, we can. That's one of my favorite things about kind of the new studios that we're working in is, you know, I like to take a screenshot or a, a rendering or a model or a, take a picture of a sketch on my phone and upload it to Flickr or post it to my blog and and just put it out there. I, you know, that's one of my favorite things to do is just to share kind of the behind the scenes, like what we do here at this podcast. But I like to do that visually as well. Um, I, I think that's just one of the coolest things about the 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 age of the studio that we're in. What about you guys? Oh, Evan, you're, you, that's so true. I, I was recently a few weeks ago designing some, uh, some tract houses. Um, and we like to call them production homes, but you know, here or there, but, um, I did, I did kind of one and, and I didn't design the, the plans or anything. I'm just trying to elevate these things per the style that the, the client was looking for. And what was interesting is I, I took a picture of it and I just kind of threw it out there on Twitter and the comments I got back were just amazing. You know, some people are like, ah, what the hell is that? And, you know, oh, this garage is taking up three quarters of the front. It's like, yeah, I can't change that guy. Sorry. But, um, you know, there's certain realities here. But it, it was it was quite fascinating how I could get feedback so quickly. And, um, you know, not all necessarily positive, but then other people going, oh, you know, hey, that, you know, for what it is, it, it, it's nice and it looks good. <laughs> well, and that's, I what, mean, that's it, what critique it is, what is. is. I think that's another topic. But, yeah, it's not – you're not looking for positive feedback. You're looking for constructive no. feedback. Exactly. And I wasn't actually really even looking for any particular feedback, uh, positive or negative. Yeah. It was just kind of – but throwing it out there. But that goes to what you were just saying, Evan. And you can throw that out there and you can get some feedback – um, or, or not get feedback, but it just, people will comment on it, hopefully, and, and you can learn something from that. And it, yes. it's almost like extending the studio environment to the world. Right. Well, you know, I mean, with, even with down to like my two minute sketch, you know, I, I post things out there all the time, not just to share and show off, you know, what I can do, but also to you know, get the feedback and the critique and, and all that other stuff. And then, you know, but it's also the opportunity to see what other people are doing and kind of get the, you know, draw inspiration from what other people are doing. And, you know, the opportunity that the digital age is now, you know, kind of affording is just like, Ooh, look, you know, Hey guys, come check this out. You know, this person's doing this or that or something. You know, and you're able to, you know, kind of, you know, maybe, you know, like a, a lot of the things that you were talking about, uh, Evan, about what you guys are doing in your office to kind of like, you know, free yourself from the, you know, cubicle farm and stuff like that are, you know, interesting ideas that, you know, we could, could translate to other people and, you know, maybe they, you know, start to kind of, 
you know, so that's the good thing about the digital age and in, in, or at least the digital studio. So yeah, it, it kind of gives everybody a platform right, yeah, to, yeah. to share and, and to, to get that feedback. And, and I think that it allows us to, and one of the downfalls, I guess, of the next point I'm going to make is that a lot of times people just use it to, to show the good, Yeah, but I think yeah. it's a great platform to show what you're experimenting with and be willing to fail and fail publicly and, and not worry about that because you know, you, you're upfront, you're saying, you know, we're experimenting with this. What do you think? And, and people will chime back and say, you know what, that never, that did not work for us. And here's why, or you're on the right track and here's why. And I think that that kind of open experimentation is not native to how a lot of architects think a lot of architects, I, I feel, you know, that grown up in the traditional way of doing things, um, we tend to guard our our dirty laundry very closely. Yeah, yeah. And we only share what is the very nicely dry cleaned pressed um, fashion. Um, when, when in fact, you know, back to the, you know, we shared this on on Enux um, podcast and. And on Eric Bobro's podcast too, it's it's about seeing behind the curtain that people want to see, and I think that that's va- a valuable lesson for everybody involved. They get to see the good with the bad, and they get to see the process and how it is just a very organic, uh, messy thing that that comes together and it ends up creating this pretty cool thing if everybody uh, is a is a dedicated partner in it. Well, you know what uh, that made me think about that we haven't really discussed, but just to touch on it briefly, what if you're working in by yourself in a a single environment and you you don't have the problem of the cube environment? No, but you uh, still have that platform. Oh no, that and that's where I was going. Yeah. Is that you? You're so insulated. I mean, you don't have somebody right behind you or right behind that cube wall to even converse with. You know, so now you're really locked in. And what I've found is that when I have been working on some design projects or doing some design, which hasn't been too frequent, but you know, that's picking up lately. But um, what's nice about that is even if you're working analog. Uh, you know, Cormac, like, like sometimes I, I, I prefer to do when I'm designing, you know, is I, I can take a picture of, say, some sketches and throw them out there. I, I know I did this even last year. You did year. it today. Yeah, exactly. I did it do it today, actually. And, and that <laughs> but, was great because, uh, you know, you're, yeah. you're able to share with and get comments and input and, and criticisms right. and, you know, praise from all over the place. So, you're not as insulated as you actually think you are. Well, no, but but for a lot of uh, you know sole practitioners, you really are until you put it out there. And I guess that's what I'm saying is you got to get that information or or share that um, with the with the internet and with Twitter and Google Plus and all these other avenues, uh, you know, to get that feedback. Well, and I think that's going to be a key to survival, right? Yeah. Is is you've got to show people what you do. Um, otherwise, you know, you're going to get lost in the crowd. Well, that doesn't that uh, go back to uh, um, talking about uh, our portfolios and our resumes and fun stuff like that, right? Yep. You're, you're showing people what, what you are or what you can do. That's so, right. 
Well, I think that's a good place to kind of finish up here on this one. Sounds good. Okay. Well, if you have any questions or comments, you know, you can always visit our website or please visit the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. And you can reach each of us at our individual Twitter accounts uh, or follow the main Arcaspeak Twitter account. And all of that is you can find on the website. And then also to visit our uh, Facebook page and leave comments or questions. Uh, and if you'd like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. We appreciate it. It really helps the podcast. And let me just throw this plea out to everybody. Please, please comment and let's have some dialogue going because as we were just talking about, put yourself out there. We're putting ourselves out there and that's the way we all learn. So please comment. Yep. Good or bad. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Okay. Bye. See you guys. I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing Oh, <laughs>
Vamos em aí 